Stephen. Hello, Stephen. Another week, uh, another bunch of crazy stuff going on. Oh, it's... Did, did, was the world always like this? I, I, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you and I are just paying attention to it now. I don't, uh, I, it seems to me that the world wasn't... Now, was the world always this crazy, but we didn't have moment to moment news to keep us updated on every heartbeat of a story? Um, you know, we, we got it the next day in the newspaper or got it uh, collated and contextualized in uh, news broadcasts at specific yeah, times. You, you watched the six o'clock news and you, you saw the uh, the five stories that they decided were important, plus something about a kitten at the end. So you didn't go and go yourself. Yeah, that's yeah. And then the, the 11 o'clock news was much the same thing. Um, and then you got the newspapers. But it, this idea of watching stories as they develop and the problem with that is that there's a lot of initial confusion about stories you you the information isn't always all there yet and we're given it in drips and drabs as it comes out whether it's verified and uh actual or not so we're getting people's thoughts and reactions to possibilities and potentialities but not to we don't have the 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 firm grip yet on the facts of the story it's you know a developing story and that's uh it's dangerous because well, it, it spreads a lot of fear early on in you know in the absence of actual fact fear slips in and we've got a situation that is now worse than it was yeah, and it's not just, you know, social media obviously is a, is a big amplifier of this kind of stuff, but, uh, you know, re re reputable news outlets feel like they have to fill, you know, ever since CNN went 24 hours and the 24-hour news cycle, I mean, it started, I guess, with the uh, the first Gulf War was when uh, CNN started broadcasting around the clock and you've got to fill all that time and you got to keep people not flipping away because it's boring. So they, you know, they endlessly go through developing stories when they have absolutely no facts and so they there's a ton of conjecture there's all kinds of uh, you know it might be this it might be that i mean we're seeing this now with the new strain of the virus the omicron virus makes makes me think of uh, did you watch futurama i didn't I, watch I love, futurama but... oh oh you should well absolutely everyone should should stop listening to us right now and go watch the entire uh, 10 seasons of futurama because uh, because it's it's clever and hilarious but there's a there's a guy there lure from the lure from the planet omicron percy i8 so that's all i can think about when they say the omicron uh, virus I, but I, the, think it, I think it sounds like the name of a transformer <laughs> yeah, or bad 1960s science fiction movie <laughs> yeah but but you know the thing about you know the omicron you know uh, variant that is out there already the news outlets are going like oh my god it might be more transmissible than you know i say and than, vaccine than, resistant than delta and it might be vaccine resistant and you know, like okay, it might be, or it might not be. Uh, why don't we see what the evidence is? Because we've just heard about it. I mean, it's been obviously kicking around for a while because by the time we hear about these variants, they've been out in the community. And, you know, by the way, they've spread to multiple countries. So, mm -hmm. you know, closing down the borders, uh, you know, might slow it, but you're still going to get it. Um, the, these things uh, take time to figure out what you're dealing with. And everyone wants to jump in and everyone wants to have an opinion about it. And everyone wants to say, you know, oh my God, the sky's falling again. And, you know, maybe it is, but I, you know, I'd like to have a little bit more evidence behind it uh, before we figure that out. 
Now, of course, you know, what if it, what if it doesn't go bad? Well, we don't have to do anything. But what if it does? If if it is as as virulent as they say, well, you you want to be prepared. Um, I know that uh, my wife Leanna is immunocompromised and very concerned about the about the you know the the illness. Uh, you know she she caught shingles not you know not very long ago. She you know the being immunocompromised has had impact on her, so she's concerned about being immunocompromised and there being this new strain, which, you know, as she points out, sure, they're talking about it being discovered in Southern Africa, but with international travel, it's here already. Oh yeah. There, well, there's been cases reported in Hong Kong and in Belgium and, and a couple of other countries as well. Um, and they, you know, they, they're not testing for it. So they don't necessarily, they're not even looking for it at this point. So who knows where it is? And there was a big show today about uh, about uh, you know stopping all of the uh, the flights from um, from south uh, um, south southern Africa, you know South Africa and about mm-hmm. six other uh, uh, countries where they've uh, they've they've found it. Um, but uh, again, you know the the traveling that people do, uh, you know that a lot of that is is, is theater. Uh, you know, Doug Ford was screaming at the, you know, the, the federal liberals, you know, close the borders. And it's like, you know, the biggest number of cases in Ontario continues to be in primary and secondary schools. And there's lots of stuff that a provincial government can do about that, that they just plain didn't do for a long, long period of time and continue not to do. So there's lots of things within our control to you know, stop the spread of COVID that aren't being done that are within the power of the provincial government, but they'd much rather say, you know, it's those dirty foreigners. You got to keep them out where, you know, well, travel. It's a simple, it's a simple answer. And people like simple answers, you know, simple answers, of course, almost always being not the correct answer. Um, they like simple answers. They like being able to blame a, a, an other element. So it's not us, it's some other that we're able to keep from crossing into our shores. Yep, it helps um, if their their skin color is brown or their religion is is different, and that yeah, that, that makes yeah. it easier to blame them. Yeah, or they're they they have different uh, uh, facial characteristics. Uh, anything that makes them other uh, makes people feel more comfortable because oh, all we need to do is is stop the other from coming here, and the problem is solved. And it's not. And the fact is that. Uh, People traveling to places like Hong Kong, even Southern Africa, there's Canadians traveling there on business. Maybe some exactly. visit family, but there's a lot of business travel that goes on, especially Hong Kong to Canada. And uh, the people bringing it back are likely Canadians. Not, And you can't stop a Canadian from coming back into the country. Yeah. So, And you can go on any province's uh, COVID dashboard and, and sort... Uh, charts uh, for for cases going all the way back to the beginning of COVID about what the likely source of the infection was, and wherever you look, I looked at the Ontario one today, and I you know went back to like January of 2020 when all this was you're starting to take it seriously, and uh, travel accounts for between half and one and a half percent of all COVID cases, and like you say, those are mostly Canadians coming back to Canada who you can't keep out anyway because they're Canadians. Um, it's not, uh, you know, it's not piles of uh, tourists or refugees or, or immigrants. It's, it's like you said, it's Canadians. And it's, an, you know, in the grand scheme of things, an insignificant source of new infection. Now, and like you said, 
the new variants they get in. Everyone said, well, you got to close the borders to keep the new variants out. They're here. New, new Zealand island nations have not been able to keep variants out by, by you know, they've got an ocean around them and they, they you know, strictly control who comes in and out and they haven't been able to keep the variants out. So you know, all you can do is slow it down a little bit, but you know, it, it, it could well be here already. Yeah. And and it will get here. I mean, it it'll get will. here. The, the Same question, way Delta did, and it'll yeah. replace the previous version. It'll it'll replace you know C one two and uh, and uh, you know Alpha and Beta, um, because that's what viruses do. It is worrisome if, in fact, it is resistant to vaccines. I mean, that still doesn't mean that vaccines are are useless. Uh, vaccines are have been proven effective in stopping the most serious effects of catching COVID. And so that's, that's still valuable. Yeah. But you know, it's, it, what are they going to do if they've got a vaccine resistant strain? Are we back to the lockdowns and staying at home and all that? I don't know that people can take it. No, I don't think there's much, you know, there certainly isn't any political appetite for it. I mean, Doug Ford would rather see people dying in the streets than, you know, than close down Starbucks again, uh, because, you know, that's what the people want. You know, they're willing to sacrifice a few people so they can get their uh, mochaccinos. Um, you know, it, what some of the good news is that, uh, you know, we do have you know, a highly vaccinated population, relatively. And Moderna came out uh, today and said that, uh, you know, because this variant is uh, a change in the protein spike, that uh, they could probably re-engineer the rmna uh, um, vaccine uh, the moderna one to account for this change in the spike because you know the the, the rmna vaccines recognize the spike spike proteins and 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 that's what uh, what makes them effective and they can actually tinker with it to um they think uh, recognize the mutated spike protein uh, if the current uh, um, vaccine uh, isn't isn't effective, so you know science is great and there's hope and it'll take time. Um, but uh, you know again, how long did it take to roll out all of them and get approval and, and all the rest? It uh, you know let's just hope that it isn't uh, that it isn't resistant to uh, to the, the the current vaccines. I just got myself triple dosed uh, yesterday morning. Um, uh, um, Pfizer, I was club AstraZeneca. So I, I, people say, how'd you qualify as this? Well, because I got the dollar store vaccine in the beginning. I got the one that nobody wanted the AstraZeneca. They had tons of it. They were giving it away. So I got double shotted with that. So those people, I think I had, I had AstraZeneca first too, actually. I didn't realize I got the dollar store version. Yeah. Well, you know, everyone was very excited about it. And then they said, no, 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 you know, the uh, Pfizer or the Moderna, you know, not even so much the Moderna Pfizer, everyone was brand shopping for their, uh, for their vaccine, which, you know, you don't do with your, you know, with your, your, your chicken pox vaccine, you go, you don't, uh, you know, look at the label, you just, you know, roll up your sleeve, but everyone, everyone became an expert in, in COVID vaccines. They should have, uh, they should have started branding them like, you know, Tommy Hilfiger. Bigger, you know, <laughs> brands, uh, clothing brands, and and you know, brands like of that nature should have gotten yeah, sure. involved. Drake, or you know, should have had yes, one, or that's Justin right. Bieber Drake, should have the, had the Drake one. Vaccine. Yeah. The Drake vaccine sounds like a vaccine against Drake, though, um, <laughs> which I would do for Justin. Yeah, Bieber. yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. He, he he keeps releasing the same song. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, do we don't sound old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. No, I, I listen to a lot of car radio on the way to the cottage and my son gets to pick the channel. So, yes. <laughs> yeah, but anything that's still on radio, is it? do they play new stuff or is it still all nostalgia? Well, I don't think anyone listens to the radio to begin with. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah, 
it just uh, big changes at the AM radio station uh, we used to work at, Leanna and I, um, this week. That the uh, it's interesting because you know, as an aside, uh, how media fortunes have changed over time. Because there was a time when AM radio just dominated uh, public life within a city. You know, I remember when CFRB 1010 in Toronto was the place to get news and context. And the people who hosted shows were household names. And oh, yeah. it was just very trusted. And, very, you know, everybody listened to that. Everybody, you know, it was the place to go for personalities and news and context. And now uh, they, you know, I, I think you can get anti-vaxxers to get a vaccine quicker than you can get regular people to listen to AM radio anymore. Uh, I don't think there's anything you can bribe people with to get them to listen to AM radio. And they, you know, in the States, they uh, dealt with that by becoming more and more cartoonish and uh, outrage inspiring, uh, more conservative, more conspiratorial, uh, more insane. And so the, the crazy people had a place to go. They, you know, that was, that was their uh, Sermon on the Mount. And then, in, but in Canada, we don't have the critical mass of crazy people that they do in the United States. We just don't breed them that same way here. Uh, maybe it's because we have a good public ed education system. Um, maybe it's because we don't have a whole lot of founding myths that uh, we feel a great need to adhere to religiously. But whatever the reason, you can't, you can't really make a buck with crazy right-wing radio in Canada. And no. you can't make a buck with midi middle of the road either. Well, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what you make a buck with anymore, uh, monetizing, monetizing any kind of thing. I mean, you know, uh, it's, uh, you know, you've had, a, you've had a career trying to monetize things and you've been more successful than most, but it's, yeah. It, it, oh, it's no, it difficult. sucks. Well, <laughs> it, it is. It sucks. Know, it is the worst. Sucks. It is the worst. I, I, I miss the days when you had TV stations and they got advertising and they paid you to do stuff instead of you going to having to go out and be your own sales force yes. while being the Find creative your sponsors. Force. Yes. Yeah, it's there's nothing. There's nothing worse than being a creative person and having to go out there knocking on doors, trying to get advertising um, because you're built for creative or you're built for sales. You're very rarely built for both. Yeah. And, you know, we do still have some of that conservative nuttery here in Canada. I mean, it, it's small, but it's incredibly vocal and it, it gets way too much coverage uh, on, on the news because, you, know, you know, the same 20 people show up uh, to protest in front of a hospital or a clinic or a what, what have you. Or, you know, they want to invade a Walmart uh, without masks as a, as a show. But, you know, it goes right to the top. I mean, the conservatives introduced, uh, you know, a, a point of personal privilege this week and, and at the uh, opening of Parliament, one of the first things on their agenda was, uh, to, you know, to complain that about uh, the vaccination policy, and uh, you know they still, and we've talked about this on previous podcasts. You know, O'Toole is still wearing the the lack of candor that he has about the number of his MPs who are fully vaccinated, right. you know, pre pretending that it's a, a that it's a, a privacy issue um, or a, you know, a personal health issue. Um, they, uh, they, 
and they're complaining that now, now you know, they voted to have a hybrid parliament, which is okay, fine. If you're not, if you're not vaccinated, you get to sit on a screen like you used to, because we don't want you sitting next to us. Then um, they're saying this is an affront to democracy and all kinds of other things. It's a public health issue. It's also a leadership by example issue as well. But, and it was, you know, it was interesting. You could kind of get a sense of their numbers of unvaccinated people. This is something my wife pointed out. We were watching uh, them come out of their first caucus meeting and everyone was clutching a little baggie that had been given by caucus, uh, conservative caucus services that included a mask and a testing kit. And you're going like, well, if you're fully vaccinated, why do you need a testing kit? So chances are anyone who's walking out the door with a testing kit is not vaccinated. Um, so all you have to do is you know, count the number of baggies coming out of the conservative caucus room. And uh, that gives you an idea of how many of them have refused to be vaccinated. Yeah, that's, I mean, there's a conundrum for Aaron O'Toole. He wants to be seen as more modern and moderate and uh, reasonable and science-based and evidence-based, but he still has to deal with the yahoos and hillbillies in his party who have, you know, drank the Trump Kool-Aid uh, and politicized a public health issue. And I mean, he, I don't know why the guy wants to still be leader. I, I what talk about a thankless job. The, I, I can't, why would you want to be leader of the federal conservatives at this point in time? <laughs> well, you know, you don't, uh, you don't have a lot of testimonial dinners being thrown for you. That's for sure. I mean, well, that's a plus. To, uh... That's a, a bonus. <laughs> exactly. You know, we talked uh, last time we were together about him having to kick out uh, Senator Denise Batters for starting a uh, petition to oust him. Um, and, uh, you know, there's, there's clearly grumbles going on. I mean, it came out uh, again this, uh, this week. It was the embarrassment of that uh, TV studio that he had uh, put together for, uh, for the last election, costing a million bucks and at the same time charging uh, three quarters of a million bucks to caucus services to, uh, to Parliament for communications equipment and, and swore on a stack of Bibles that, you know, there, there, there was no crossing of the streams here. They, uh, you know, they, they, you know, resolutely kept, uh, uh, you know, the publicly paid for equipment out of the, uh, the campaign room, um, which I'm not sure anyone really believes, but, uh, you know, it makes a good story. But, you know, he's, you know, he, he's having, he's having real trouble. I mean, and, you know, there's no, there's no sort of limit to their, to their, you know, hypocritical indignation. You know, they're talking about the problem with a hybrid uh, parliament, where some of those, uh, some of them have to uh, go on uh, camera and, uh, you know, work from home, where, the conservatives have the worst attendance record in parliament in the last uh, in the last session um they they when when parliament was able to meet personally they didn't show up and you know when you had people you know who are some of the loudest critics you know michelle rempel gardner who uh, um was broadcasting from oklahoma and didn't tell anyone she she was actually attending canadian parliament from from her living room in oklahoma uh, and they're the people who are saying, no, no, it's important to democracy that we be there in person. Uh, yeah, it's so easy to call them out on, the, on this kind of baloney. Yeah, but this is, a, this is a, I wouldn't even say it's a trend because it's been going on so long, it's not exactly a fad. But uh, conservatives are bold-faced liars. Um, they say things which are easily proven to be false, easily dismantled as an argument. But they still, but they persist with it as if you haven't said anything, as if you haven't pointed out that, you know, where they're being deceptive, it's like they didn't hear it. 
you know, I dealt with years ago when I was at Much Music, I dealt with a, a, a person in management who said that uh, the, the people watching couldn't remember anything that happened or weren't interested in anything that happened more than three months ago. So don't include anything that happened more than three months ago. And I disagreed and said, we just aired a special that we did, which traced the history of hip hop and goes back to like the 16th century, uh, you know, African traditions going back there. And we got the highest ratings of the week. And they said, yeah, nobody wants to watch that. <laughs> and Obviously. I said, yeah, I said, but no, you don't understand. We got the highest That's ratings of the week. Yeah, nobody's interested in that. And it, it, it's like, what, what conversation am I having here? What conversation are they having? And this is, the, this is dealing with conservatives now. They will, they will tell a big lie. And when you say, well, that's not true because of X, Y, and Z, they just repeat the big lie again. Well, and it's like, uh, you know, it's like inflation. I mean, which is the new thing that, you know, they're trying to, uh, you know, they're really, really pushing hard on, on inflation. And yeah, prices, prices are up. I mean, you go to the grocery store, prices are up. But, you know, prices are up everywhere. You know, it's, you know, inflation in the UK is up. It's like 4.2, I think, percent uh, increase uh, in, in the, if someone's looked at all the G7s and, you know, inflation is up. Canada, Canada's inflation is, is a little high, but, you know, a lot of that is driven by gas and house prices, which are, you know, pretty, pretty impressive in, in Canada. Um, some of it's grocery prices. Uh, I do most of the grocery shopping in the house. I, I've noticed that the prices have been going up. Uh, and they, you know, they love to try these, you know, juvenile gotcha questions with Trudeau. I mean, he was asked, uh, you know, uh, yesterday, I think in the House of Commons, you know, well, you know, you're so out of touch. When was the last time you went grocery shopping? And how much is, how much is a, a, a two liter of milk? And it's like, he's the prime minister. Do you think he goes grocery shopping? Do you think, you know, the RCMP is going to let him go down to the IGA and do the, you know, is that a good use of his time? A couple hours out of every day bagging groceries and squeezing lemons. Um, I, I would be pretty upset if my, my prime minister was, was, you know, spending a couple of hours every week grocery shopping. And this was, you know, and this is just one of those gotchas. It's just to show, you know, you're an elitist, you're out of touch with everyone. You don't know what uh, two liters of milk. And I'll tell you, two liters of milk is 444 at, um, at, at Food City, which is where, you know, where I, I do my grocery shopping. And I know when it goes up, it hasn't gone up for me, but it will go up at some point. But there's, you know, the inflation thing, it's a worldwide phenomenon that has all kinds of factors. We're coming out of a weird period of economic stagnation because of covid and yeah things are going to go up because people want to buy stuff again and you know supply and demand which you'd think all the great economists in the conservative party would be able to figure out and if you see it happening across you know the g7 or the g20 then it's probably a worldwide phenomenon but they want to blame it on trudeau and like well, you say, trudeau it, had a had an interesting comeback to that when pierre Parlever was uh blaming him for the the increase, you know, the for, for for inflation, and he said basically, I thank the member for believing me to be so influential and powerful on a world stage that I could cause a global inflation. Yeah, and yeah. that about said it all. It's you but know, like you said, it's they, like arguing with a six year old because you know they 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 will. That's a great comeback, and it's absolutely true. But, uh, you know, they'll be back tomorrow pounding the same drum, hoping that uh, some of them, someone will hear it and believe that it's Trudeau's fault. Well, they cite other countries that have inflation, but inflation not as high as ours. And the thing is, anybody who knows anything about uh, economies 
in different countries recognizes they rest upon different foundations. And there's cultural implications, there's social implications, there's all kinds of things that have to do with why you really can't compare apples to apples, country to country, why there are differences. And the uh, people will prey on the ignorance of the public. When I say ignorance, I don't mean that they're stupid. I mean, they're just uninformed um, because this is not something that most people study. Uh, so they think, yeah, if, if Switzerland can have a lower uh, rate of inflation, then why can't we? Because that's Switzerland and we're not yeah. Switzerland. And that's the simplest answer I can give you. And if you need more than that, there are places to find out. But we are not doing a fair comparison comparing Canada uh, favorably or unfavorably to other nations. Every nation has its particular considerations that form the lattice that is uh, their economy. And there's no two countries that are really close enough, you know, identical enough that they can really be held to comparison. Yeah, and you know, and Pierre Paul has also been beating the drum that it has to do with the amount of money in circulation too. That inflation is caused. You know, inflation can be caused by you know printing too much money, and you know it's happened in, you know, it happened in Weimar Germany and places like that. But there's so many other economic factors that most of the world's economists have said. You know, the amount of Canadian money in circulation and the amount of American money in circulation too, because you know, the, the, you know, the, the Fed has been printing money there too, and the Bank of Canada has been printing money here in order to, uh, to cover uh, you know, some of the, uh, the costs of uh, COVID economic recovery. They're saying that the, the amount of money that we've, extra money we put in the system is not a factor in driving inflation. Um, it's all these other things, you know, the things that you've mentioned. It's the cost of, um, you know, cost of oil. It's the cost of uh, housing. It's the, you know, the, you know, and again, so like you said, Canada's not Switzerland. You know, we've got a big country. We have a cold country. Um, you know, we obviously spend more money on certain things than tropical countries do. Uh, that we, uh, you know, we, we drive farther to get places. Um, it's, you know, there's a lot of things built into us that, uh, that when, certain things go up in price, like gasoline, um, it has a real effect on the, uh, the cost of living because it's one of those things we use a lot of on a per capita basis. But you know, Paul Everett's trying to say, no, it's, it's tied to, uh, to our monetary policies of printing you know, way too much money. And I say, that's, that's a, one of those weird right wing uh, things that, uh, you know, the, you know, whether it's the, the Hayek, you know, the Austrian school of economics is, you know, and none of it has any real application in real life, unless you get to like the state of Weimar, Germany, which you know, we are nowhere close to. Yeah, it's, and by the way, gas. Oh, my God. Uh, it's a good thing I, no one's going anywhere. <laughs> yeah, I filled up my car. Uh, I filled up my car twice in the last two weeks because I have been doing some driving oh you're driving and you're the guy driving up inflation. i'm the guy i'm the guy driving up inflation i i couldn't believe how much more it cost like you know when gas would increase a little bit here and there i would barely notice the little bit of difference you know we're talking about some change here and there but yeah. wow oh is... no you know what that is that's the supply chain <laughs> yes that is the supply chain which you know every every retailer is blaming <laughs> now for for gouging people say oh you got supply chain issues uh, you know better get your christmas tree this week because you know we won't have any uh you know by the first of december and it because of supply chain issues it's like 
Yeah, it's <sighs> no. Are you this saying is that this excuse. is false? <laughs> oh, oh, oh! I know, I know. It, it, it it's shocking to uh, to suggest that uh, that uh, big uh, corporations, yeah, yeah, are 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 uh, seeing that uh, the, the the chorus of frogs in the uh, in the media that talks about supply chain and inflation is uh, maybe thinking, uh, you know, we could squeeze up our prices, whether it's gasoline or milk or whatever else, and blame the supply chain and uh, just pocket the uh, pocket the extra profit because a lot of these you know countries uh, country companies that are complaining now about the uh, the cost of things whether it's the oil companies and they're saying oh i'm sorry you know the cost is going way way up they're posting record profits um all you have to do is look at their you know go on go on google their investor relations sections of their websites and look for their quarterly financial statements and look at their profits and places you know like like drug stores and food stores are posting these massive profits at the same time as saying, "Oh man, inflation! We got to we got to raise the prices at the pump or at the uh, at the checkout at uh, your grocery store because you know supply chain um, or inflation." And in the meantime, they're laughing all the way to the bank. Yeah, if if this was uh, value neutral, uh, then there wouldn't be a change in the profits of the companies. Because if they are legitimately having to pay more for supply, then uh, there would be it would be flat. Their earnings would be flat because they're paying more, they're charging more. Okay, but they're clearly not paying more because you don't get record profits. You can't argue that it's just that people are buying more than they. I mean, how much milk can a person buy? Yeah. Um, you, you can't really argue that it's oh just more and more people are buying our product. That's why our profits are high. That's nonsense. And especially when people are feeling the pinch, they're buying less of your product or they're parsing it out more. So this is, again, this is another situation as we talked about earlier of the lie being right out there in our face. And yet they don't have the respect for us to at least acknowledge what, what is obvious. They continue to tell us lies like we're a bunch of morons and the media helps them push it. And a lot of people, you know, they just, they don't have the time to make, to inform themselves. They're struggling to put food on the table. They're struggling, you know, they're struggling in so many ways. Uh, and they don't have the time to really investigate this. And the, the companies know that. And they also know that we're completely impotent. What are we gonna do? Boycotts, the last boycott that I can think of working was the boycott of uh, the apartheid government in South Africa. That's the last boycott I can remember having any real impact. Otherwise, uh, boycotts are famous for people saying, yeah, I'm going to boycott it. Well, the rest of you guys are doing the boycott, so they won't care if I buy this thing. And then everybody does that. And boycotts, companies laugh at boycotts most of the time because they know that they're toothless. So why, does the, why would the companies feel the need to tell us the truth? Well, actually, why, the, why should they feel the need to lie to us? We still have to buy the stuff. They still dictate the price. There's, and you know that even when the supply chain issues are uh, resolved, the prices will never go back down to what they were before the supply chain issues. Oh, no, no. They will never. Once you establish a price tolerance. A base, uh, yeah, a baseline price, then that's it. You push it. You, you leave it there. So you know, hey, they're they're prepared to pay this, and you know, look at our profits. Uh, you know, why why would we uh, why would we cut into that? And I just I quickly looked at it. I want to get the number right. So George Weston Limited, which is which is Loblaws and Shoppers Drug Mart now. Uh, it's it, now this is for the quarter. It's last quarter, so three months. 
in uh, in uh, 2021 was was 272 million dollars were the profits that was after paying your your you know your employees and your rent and you know all your expenses um so you know so revenues for the three months ended went to 12.9 billion dollars of which they made more you know more than a quarter of a billion dollars in profit for that quarter for that three months and at the same time they say oh you know we got to increase prices because and we can't afford to pay our cashiers an extra buck either but uh, you know we've got to increase our prices because you know supply chain you have to wonder whether they sit around laughing you know you have these images of these people sitting around in their suits with the big fat cigars uh, <laughs> You know, smoke filling the the upper part of the of the room, and just laughing at what a bunch of saps we are. Um, I mean, they have to know they're lying. They have to know they're gouging. I don't. They clearly they haven't any conscience because what do they care? They're at the at the level they're at, uh, you know, economically and, and job wise. This isn't hurting them really. They're not really feeling a pinch. And they, they talk about they, they talk a good game about caring about the average Canadian or the lower income Canadian, but they don't give a rat's ass. If they did, there are things they could do reasonably to keep prices down. And then you got places like Walmart, which do keep prices down, but look at the cost of the prices they keep down. They force their suppliers to practically sell to them at cost uh, or else they'll take their competitor and put them out of business. And they put out of business all the mom and pop stores in the in the area. So you got one company that does work hard to keep prices low, and it's got ruinous uh, effect on the the businesses it deals with and the local community uh, of businesses. And then you've got other companies that don't bother trying to keep the prices low, and they don't experience any. Uh, shortages of of people buying things in fact they 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 it's either the, the same level or it's a little bit higher yeah. um it, it it's just crooked yeah. <laughs> all of this it's is nice. just and all the, all the companies we love to hate too i mean you know rogers you know you know, forget bell but you know rogers i'm just looking i'm just kind of curious you know their 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 profits again for their quarter ended june 30 to 2021 um, just the end of the summer, were $387 million. Those were the profits. Um, and you know, so you go like, well, why is my cell phone bill so high? Well, my cell phone bill is so high so they can make those kinds of profits and pass it on to whether Rogers family or the, you know, the shareholders. You know, and, and even you know, you're talking about sort of the, the, the perception too, you know, even Honest Ed, Ed Mervish, uh, you know, he used to be famous for his uh, Christmas turkey giveaway. Yeah. Um, but the thing was, he didn't buy a single one of those turkeys. He, he, he I, I'm reliably informed that what he did is he went to his suppliers and, and, uh, and said, if you want to keep doing business with me, you're going to give me a whole pile of turkeys, um, which I can give away and you won't get any credit for it, but I'll, I, but I will. So you know, the, the corporate world is, is a world of, of shady. Of, yeah. There, there's, there's a lot going on there. Um, and uh, you know, and generally there's not a lot of altruism in, in, in that kind of, in any of those businesses. So when they do cry poverty and they cry, you know, they, you know, they, they cry that inflation is taking a big bite into them and their, you know, their, their profits are down 10%. It's like, Oh, we only made $200 million this quarter instead of $220 million this quarter. 
uh, you know, cry, cry me a river, but, you know, don't tell me that this is a uh, supply chain issues. And, you know, and the problem with supply chain issues is, you know, businesses went, you know, 10, 10, 15, you know, some of them 20 years ago, like Amazon, they went to just in, uh, just in time um, warehousing where, you know, nobody had anything in their stores and they procured, procured everything from suppliers overseas and all the rest and relied on shipping to get it, you know, so they didn't have to pay for warehouses. They didn't have to have inventory. They didn't have to worry about, uh, you know, any of that stuff. They shipped it, uh, you know, Amazon does this, you know, know, they've made billions of dollars doing this. Um, They don't act, you know, there are Amazon warehouses, but most of their stuff is elsewhere. Um, At most, they ship it from one place to another. And so when we have disruptions like we had on the, uh, on the West Coast, which can di- continue to have on the West Coast, where the rail lines and the roads are disrupted and things can't come in from Asian ports, um, the supply chain does get disrupted because the, the greedy uh, retailers and suppliers have decided that it was cheaper for them not to have inventory anywhere. And uh, they just rely on coming in, you know, with three-day free delivery from wherever in the world, uh, but it's not coming from their warehouse. And that was just a, a seismic shift in the way that retail supplies uh, inventory to its purchasers by not having anything in the storeroom at any one time. Yeah. And, and you know, not to say that there aren't supply chain issues. There are. I mean, my parents' dryer has been uh, broken for six weeks and they have to wait until December for the part to be available, which is unusual for it, it's not like this is an old machine or some rare breed of machine. It's a standard, uh, you know, consumer uh, clothes dryer. Um, and there's even been things where I've been buying online and places where usually I would get delivery in two days, three days, maybe five days, they're now saying it's going to take two weeks. Um, So the holdups at the Port of Los Angeles, Port of Vancouver, these are real. They're really happening. Um, It's harder to get some items uh, because they're still sitting on ships. So that is real. But the hiking of prices is uh, they're using a real situation to increase prices beyond what they need to be raised. And they'll never go back down to what they were uh, what they were before when there were no issues with obtaining products and services quicker. Yeah, so it's gonna make Christmas shopping interesting. And like I say, I'm hoping to, uh, to, to score a tree at some point, if necessary, you know, drive up north with the saw. But uh, I'm pretty sure, I mean, I remember last year they did the same thing with Christmas trees saying, oh, there's gonna be a Christmas tree shortage. You gotta go out there and buy them. And, you know, maybe, you know, the selection wasn't quite as good. I mean, a lot of it um, had to do with, I think last year and this year, just to talk about the economics of Christmas trees, is that uh, during the 2008-2009 downturn, uh, oddly enough, a number of Christmas tree farmers uh, went out of business and they couldn't afford to, and and they, they didn't plant new trees. So here we are 12 years later, and those trees they should have planted that year aren't ready or, you know, or just don't exist. So I mean, there's all kinds of things going on that, you know, aren't, aren't related to COVID, aren't related to whatever. And, you know, and next year, 
because because 13 years ago that the, the crisis was over and the, the tree people were happy again and were planting again, there will be trees again. But in the meantime, it, it, it makes great front line. I think it was on the front page of the Toronto Star today. Say, you know, it was below the fold, but it was still a, still a, front, a front page story that, you know, Christmas tree shortage, you know, go out there and, you know, claw the eyes out of the person at Home Depot trying to, uh, you know, get yourself a good tree. But it also, I noticed that tree prices have gone up too, because I think the retailers have gone like, oh, there's this, uh, people are, are worried they're going to not get a tree, so we can charge whatever we want for it. In the people who uh, have bought artificial trees and just- Oh, they're laughing their way every to the year. <laughs> Yeah, they're just <laughs> laughing. Um, do we, do we want to talk about virtual parliament? Oh, sure, we can talk about it. I guess yeah. when I open it up. <laughs> That's clear what my attitude is. Um, it's, yeah, do, you th- do you think it's going to make a lot of difference to the to the public discourse or the quality of the legislation that uh, is going to be passed in this new government? I mean, no. I, I, I don't think so. No, I, I this is uh, once again a soapbox issue for opposition parties who know full well that this is just the reality of the world we're living in now. And it doesn't change the opportunity for debate. There's still debate. You can still hold the government accountable. Uh, as you said, the conservatives have a terrible attendance record anyways. So this really isn't, it, it actually allows people who otherwise might not have attended uh, to just plug in from their office or at home and participate. It's, and you know, do you, here's the question. Do you have to maintain the same archaic dress code that uh, Jagmeet Singh has been railing against? Oh, I, I, love, I love the dress code. I mean, here, I, I, this is why I'm going to show my age. I think people go into Parliament ought to wear a jacket and tie if you're a man and, and uh, you know, a, a smart business suit, uh, whatever, if you're a woman, I mean, because I think there should be. You know, I, I learned this as, as a practicing lawyer. Um, when you dress for the occasion, you behave better. You, you know, you, it's like putting on, you know, a suit of armor, you're, you're, uh, you're expected to behave in a certain way, you know, decorum goes up a little bit, uh, you know, you feel the part, you feel a little bit of the gravity of the situation, it's like going to church, you know, if you, you know, if you show up in sweats, then it's like, uh, but, you know, if you get dressed and, 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 uh, and go there in jacket and tie, you know, you know, you mean business, and I feel the same way about, uh, about uh, Parliament, I always have, I mean, I remember when, uh, uh, Pierre Trudeau scandalized the conservatives by wearing a, um, a cravat instead of a tie to parliament in the, I guess it was in the 1970s or, or early 80s. And, you know, they thought that that was the end of the world because he was debasing the dignity of the House of Commons. Um, and now, you know, they want to wear like Russian track suits or something to, uh, <laughs> you know, to, you know, behind, behind their, you know, like they're a YouTuber in, in front of their, uh, their camera uh, at home. It's like, you know, if you want to, if you want to have one of the highest offices in the land, maybe you should dress for it. Yeah. I uh, personally, I'd bring back top hats if I had my choice, but you know, that's, that's me. What about spats? <laughs> oh, spats for sure. Top hats, yeah. spats. Yeah. The, I mean, spats are, they're, they're due for a comeback. <laughs> uh, I agree with you that there needs to be a certain level of decorum for how the leaders of our, our country uh, comport themselves. And I think that uh, Jagmeet Singh going off on that is it's, it's just, oh, is he talking again? Uh, you know, don't you have time to film some more dances for TikTok? Uh, but I think people are well aware of my attitude towards him as a leader 
politically. Um, well, I don't the interesting think... thing about Jagmeet Singh is, you know, he has he wears bespoke suits, um, and uh, you know, they're 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 handmade suits. I mean, and some of them are kind of funny cuts. I mean, they're they're very um, noticeable the way he uh, you know he he has a style that he really likes, and he gets his tailor to 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 build them that way. Uh, and you know, there's there's stuff if you go on the internet, uh, uh, how much uh, he pays for his suits and all the rest. But um, and and he's you know, he it's part of his thing. I mean, he was in GQ. Um, there was a you know uh, in 2017 there was a, uh, a an article about him about the incredibly well dressed uh, lawyer turned politician. If you want to look it up, um, you know, on a rising star in Canadian politics, uh, and. Yeah, for him to be saying like, you know, we should be dressing down uh, because we have this archaic dress code. I mean, it's the worst kind of sort of virtue signaling to to the you know the blue collar people. Um, it's it's because that that's not who he is um, as as a as an authentic person. Yeah, no, and it was posturing again. Like I said, is he talking again? It's, it's got to be posturing. Um, but I don't think I think virtual parliaments, it's 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 adapting to the world as it is. And I don't think that it's going to change uh, uh, government that we can uh, we can ask questions of and hold accountable. Yeah. And you know, to, to, to my point about, you know, dressing up and you know, brings better behavior. Uh, GQ actually asked Jagmeet Singh the question, why do you think so many politicians dress so poorly? And Jagmeet said, uh, I wouldn't advise every politician to care so much about their own style. But then again, if your style is so poor that it's distracting, it can take away from the bigger conversation. Fashion and style is a form of communication. So, yeah, uh, that was 2017. I mean, it was yeah, that was a long years. time ago. That it was, was it was five ago. years ago and nobody yeah, remembers any of that stuff. Cares. Yeah, that's, no. all, that's ancient history. Um, we're coming to the end and you brought up uh, Christmas presents and the difficulty some people may have in getting them or the cost. So I thought I would uh, drop in this uh, message for uh, Leanna's uh, Kickstarter. She's making a video game based on her uh, video series or online video series, Boss Fight. It's called Song of Sparkle Muffin. It's a uh, comedic adventure game based, uh, sort of based in those games that people played in the 90s, that people who are adults now grew up playing and have some nostalgia for. It's uh, witty, it's satirical, it's adventurous. And as a present, uh, a decent and a unique Christmas present, people can, if they support the Kickstarter at the right tier, they can buy themselves digital immortality by making themselves into a character in, in the video game. Oh, that sounds like fun. <laughs> yeah, so you can, it's a non-playable character or a quest giver, which means that it's the computer plays it for you, but your name is there and you're as close as possible to your likeness. So you can do it to get yourself in the game. You can get it as a present for a friend or family member. Uh, you can do it for a pet because there's actually, there are actually pets in the game. And so you can you know give a tribute to your pet uh, cat or dog, or I think it's cat limited to cats or dogs, but it might be more, um, or tribute to a, a pet that's passed, um, all of which people are, are participating in. But it's a really inexpensive way to give a very unique Christmas present that is going to last longer, likely, than anything else you're going to give them. 
And uh, the place to find out about this for the next few days is bossfightgame.com. That's bossfightgame.com. Uh, fight spelled the normal way, F-I-G-H-T. And uh, the uh, game fund it reached its initial funding plateau within 15 hours, but now it's trying to reach its first uh, stretch goal. They're only a few hundred dollars away from reaching that first stretch goal, which is going to allow them to uh, pay some good talent, voice talent for, for the game. Uh, and have, they've already upgraded the graphics from what they started with. Uh, it's, it's an inexpensive game, but it's uh, fun. And Ed the Sock is going to be in the game. And you can be in the game with Ed the Sock as well. So uh, go to bossfightgame.com and uh, check out the goodies you get for supporting it. Um, and, uh, and no supply chain issues. No supply chain issues whatsoever. And you don't have to wrap it. You don't have to take it to somebody. You don't have to ship it. It's, it, it's done. It's, it's oh, easily done. Um, you don't even so, need a Christmas tree if you can't get a hold of one to put it that, under. Not at all. Not at all. You don't have to put it under a Christmas tree. Um, I'm curious to see how you could. There are digital greeting cards that will be sent to people about this, uh, about this present. Um, so bossfightgame.com and check out my uh, current project uh, spotlighting independent uh, music videos from Canadians in the style of old much music. That's new music nation at newmusicnation.ca. And Stephen Lawton's can be found on Twitter at Stephen Lawton's. That's S-T-E-P-H-E-N-L-A-U-T-E-N-S. Uh, check that out. It's been interesting reading some of your, uh, your um, historical stuff, your ancestry uh, that you've been putting up on social media, oh, on yeah, one Facebook, of my, yeah, one of my co on COVID Twitter. projects, going yeah. back to my twelfth great grandparent. Yeah, it's so. uh, it's amazing. Well, it, what is it? You went back to like the fourteen hundreds or something? Yeah, I managed to get the, some of the, some of the family back to the fourteen hundreds, and it's actually you know it's quite it's interesting you know reading some of the original documents that some you know some scribe wrote in the in the late fourteen hundreds with birth certificates and baptismal records and all that kind of stuff. It kind of uh, makes you wonder what their lives were like. It's quite uh, it's quite interesting. Uh, it's been a lot yeah. of fun. So yeah, yeah, so I, I put some of that on my Facebook page just as a just as a curiosity. I don't think anyone's interested in my my twelfth great grandmother, but uh, in case you are, then it's on my Facebook page. Well, just the journey that you've taken and just being able to go that far back oh yeah my family's been kicked out of so many different countries it's it's hard to keep track i'll bet my <laughs> i bet mine beats you um they uh my my mother and my late aunt uh put together a family tree uh oh it's got to be 35 years ago now um i have it somewhere in the house and they could only go back a few generations because that's as long as memories uh <laughs> existed at the time um you know with my grandparents who and and their contemporaries could remember relatives going back a couple of generations, but it stopped at that point, and we have no idea. And yeah. there, there's no kings, no. <laughs> there, there's no emperors, <laughs> there's nothing like that in my past. As I think I said on your uh, Facebook page, uh, my maternal grandfather's family were uh, were Polish horse thieves. We found <laughs> out, which was a which was which was a big a big uh, crime back in in poland in in, in those days only um, if they caught you only, yeah. uh, so um uh, i come from infamy um yeah, but, well, my, my family might have bought some of those horses yeah it's <laughs> or my family stole they got horse. a great deal yeah. <laughs> um so uh interesting stuff on your social media on your facebook well, and well, your, your twitter 
Um, and that's it, Stephen. That's it for us this week. I uh, wish you a good week. And you too. And I want to thank all of you for listening. This has been Stephen and Stephen. I'm Stephen Kersner. <laughs>